So today on the show with us, we got Gray Gordon, vegan straight edge, <laughs> thrifting online at uh, Can I Kick It Vintage. Yeah, that's true. Co-host of the Demo Listen podcast. You got over 100 episodes now. Dude, we have a lot of episodes now. I don't even know how many we have. <laughs> kind of give us an overview of what you guys do there because it's a really interesting concept. So uh, so the concept was actually born because like my co-host Nate, he works in the woods, essentially. He works for a nonprofit. And uh, he manages like a huge swath of land in northern Indiana, and it's just him, like basically working on limiting invasive species and shit. So he just trudges around in like bogs and woods all day. So he has an endless string of ideas, most of which are pretty throwaway, but some are <laughs> some are pretty good. Uh, and he had the idea for us actually initially to do a public access show where we had bands on and critiqued them live, like an American Idol type thing, essentially. Yeah. Yes, but yeah. it was but it was like local it would be like local bar bands and yeah. new metal bands and stuff <laughs> like the basic revolving door of like of bands that you see on public access yeah, and rappers yeah. whatever and just give them the, a real bare bones honest to god rundown of what they're doing uh, and then we we're like man that's just logistically so tough like yeah. you're gonna have to find time to go to the library and like rent public access equipment and stuff so eventually we kind of watered it down into this very succinct idea and decided to do it as a podcast so we just listen to bands all of the content is uh listener submitted it's mostly in like the punk hardcore metal alt rock purview like under that broad umbrella we we listen to bands on every episode and just react to them basically just talk about them honestly Sometimes we really like stuff, sometimes we don't. But the point is to not pull punches, more or less, which sometimes makes people really upset. And sometimes <laughs> people take it in the spirit that it's intended, which is that we're morons. So yeah. <laughs> you, you shouldn't take what we're saying seriously. And if you do, that's it's incumbent upon you to change your life. Yeah. You know? So that's that's really it. It's very very simple. So have you got a fair amount of hate mail from people? Not so, not so much. Like uh, it's mostly like people report because I don't have Twitter or anything uh, anymore, and like so it's mostly people reporting back on me on things that people have said about us on the internet. Oh, okay. Like, oh man, these fucking pussies from Fort Wayne talk <laughs> talk shit on my fucking beatdown hardcore band. Well, come to Norfolk, Virginia, motherfucker. <laughs> See what happens. And I'm like, well, I'll never go to Norfolk, Virginia, so I'm safe. For sure. Do you have any, like, mountaintop bands that you've discovered that you really dig? Oh, dude, I was listening to one on the way over here, actually, that we discovered yesterday. I was telling you off air, we did, like, we, we call it Hell Week because we just accrue so many submissions that there's no way we can keep up with them. So at some point, we get easily two three months behind on submissions and we like to keep it as current as we can so yesterday we went through and listened to literally like over a hundred bands in a <laughs> single marathon session of 15 hours that will break up into like digestible chunks for our listeners but for us i think the purpose is like it's it's punishment and like uh <laughs> we're just really into the masochism of it all so and we like that you can hear us audibly getting more and more tired and disinterested <laughs> as the hours wear on yeah uh, but pretty late in the game we actually discovered this band called uh wednesday that this kid zach who usually sends in just like really solid old school death metal stuff nice he had no language to describe what he was hearing it turned out it was just like really good poppy indie rock it's this band called wednesday awesome and it totally made me feel like i felt when i first heard snail mail a few years ago oh nice yeah. it's very much in the same vein like incredibly well-constructed indie pop hooks like an amazing voice 
it's so so good but there are so many bands like that i've discovered it's a lot of really good hardcore bands some of my favorites of like the last 10 years uh the band protocol comes to mind armor um there's yeah there's a zillion bands dude for us i think it's an exercise and not like falling into the old guy trope of just getting disconnected from the things that we enjoyed when we were kids yeah and staying like in touch with that stuff which i think we do a pretty good job of anyway because i actively book shows still and nate and i still play in bands uh but it's still easy to just get like complacent and not seek out new stuff so this is a way to keep a steady stream of new stuff in front of us you know no that's awesome provides a good platform to share that too with people yeah may not have the time as you get older to seek out stuff yeah for sure because i mean i know i don't like unless something is coming to me directly and is recommended by someone whose tastes i already trust yeah it's very unlikely that i'm gonna click on a link or whatever just because i've i'm so busy doing stuff so i feel like this is a good way to we're not curating because we're not choosing what we're listening to but even stuff that isn't to our taste like there's been plenty of stuff that we've said this is truly god awful and someone has written us and been like hey i know you hated this but i think it's really good so it's a good way for us to just put stuff in front of other people and encourage people to interact with that world you know yeah for sure are you still playing in quite a few bands yeah i play in way too many bands (laughs) are you still doing terminal crush i am still doing terminal crush i'm like i'm i'm not very sad so (laughs) that that is like a that's a bit of a roadblock in writing a record for that project (laughs) yeah because it is very 90s slow core in like the vein of codeine and low and all of my favorite favorite acts in that lane and i wrote it when i was having a real bad time yeah and now i'm having a real good time right and what I've are been you doing ha- that's not uh, yeah that's not feeding any new material <laughs> no, man <it's> <laughs> i've been having a real good time for quite a while now so <laughs> so a record is not coming but <laughs> you know if things if things get bad at some point then i'm sure another terminal crush record will come down the pipe that's good to have that outlet there yeah, if you yeah, need it. For sure, just in case. <laughs> it sucks too because I wrote that record in like a blur of like one week and I really liked those songs a lot, but I was just, I mean, I was feeling real bad and I was locked in my house just working on songs. And when I was writing for that stuff, I basically would record the songs like right after I got done writing them and I was tuning the shit out of my guitar. I was doing all sorts of wild open tunings, which I never do ever. <laughs> and I didn't write down like any of the tunings uh. I used, where I capoed anything. And as soon as I wrote a song and felt like, okay, this is complete, I just tracked everything in one go bass, drums, guitar, vocals. And then I never played them again. So I've had a bunch of people, like, especially when the pandemic was in full swing, a fair amount of people were like, hey, would you like to do like a live stream of this or something? And I was like, you know, I would love to, but I don't remember how to play a single note uh, of this entire record. And I don't, I don't think I can relearn it because I don't know what tuning they're in or anything. So it would be like a truly painstaking process to even remember how to play this. Right. So I hope people like the record and don't ever want to see any of those songs live because I I'll never play him. <laughs> well, it's kind of a bummer. I dug quite a bit of that record. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm glad you liked it. No, it was awesome. Do you have a proudest musical accomplishment as far as like a show or a record that you've done? Uh, When I was fairly young, I got to record an album with a dude whose records I grew up really loving and for sure inspired me to write a lot of the music that I was writing at that time in my life. He like offered to produce it and engineer it and stuff, and we had become friends in the years prior to that leading up to recording it. And since then, it turned out he was like a huge dick 
And I, I too am a huge dick, so I'm sympathetic, but <laughs> he has made no personal strides in like trying to trying to be a cool dude. So we had a huge falling out. So it kind of hampers my ability to reflect on that and think it's very cool because yeah. our relationship ended with me saying, hey man, I'm gonna hit you in the face if you don't chill out. Uh, so it doesn't allow me to reflect upon it with the same sense of like gravitas that I would like to lend to that event in my life. But yeah. taken out of that particular very specific context, that was pretty cool. Yeah, was that the uh, Forget I Brought It Up record that yeah. you did? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. that sure. record was awesome. Thanks, man, I and still I still like that record. You recorded with a lot of the Wicker Wolves guys, right? Yeah. Josh and Kaya? Yeah, it was the whole, it was that whole stable of dudes. Yeah. Cause I was playing in Wicker Wolves at that time too, and just made sense for us to like combine efforts because I learned their songs, they could learn my songs. And when we toured, we could do a two band package that was actually a one band package. Nice. We literally <laughs> just moved the microphone over. So do you get more fulfillment putting out albums or or live shows? Oh man, definitely recording. Live shows, when they hit, they really hit. But most of the time, they don't They don't really be hidden. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, most of the time, it's a labor of love, and it feels like kind of a necessary facet of playing music, but one that more often than not it is like a lackluster and just kind of a distraction from playing Elden Ring right. or whatever <laughs> or whatever it is that I'm playing at, at the particular time. And also playing live, I've been very spoiled on playing in like hardcore and punk bands from a very young age. So when I'm not playing that style of music live, and also it's not music that, that people are reacting to physically mm -hmm. it's like a very different thing like it's a different sort of emotional feedback loop because when you're playing hardcore that people are very into and people are grabbing the mic or stage diving or whatever it's like an immediate emotional gratification where it's like yeah this is compelling this feels good and somebody coming up to you after you played your like sad boy set it's just <laughs> a very different experience it's still gratifying in a way but for me i'd much rather just like sit down with the guitar and like be alone for a few days write a bunch of songs record them Stick around with the audio you know yeah. I mean? like that's what i like to do really yeah. especially like i don't know how much of the sad boy performing you do solo yeah but at least with a band you have the response from your bandmates yeah that you yeah, might yeah. not have from the audience yeah i i mean even when i was like performing some solo stuff with a full band like it was more gratifying i think mm -hmm. when i was performing solo i had to figure out ways to like make that interesting mm -hmm. like i i feel like when i was playing sets doing that kind of stuff i almost used it as a platform to like try out comedy material more than it was playing songs <laughs> like i it was half a stand-up set and half a performance because <laughs> i also felt it was incumbent upon me to like as a dude with an acoustic guitar i felt bad putting people through it you know because i'm like i don't want to sit around watching anyone save five like neil young could play an acoustic guitar in front of me and i'd be psyched but there's like a short list after that i'm with you you know so i was like man I got to figure out a way to be engaging beyond just like strumming on these like Elliot Smith ripoff tracks. <laughs> uh, so, so, but it was, it was just as much for me as it was for anybody else. Cause I was like, if, at least if I'm talking and engaging, I feel like I'm doing something here. Otherwise, like I just, I get so little out of this. Mm -hmm. And that's why ultimately, even though the ball was kind of rolling, I had some decent forward momentum and was doing some sizable tours and stuff. When I was performing solo, I got so burnt out on, I just wasn't having a good time. I'd rather make money doing something else and be able to fully enjoy this than just like phone it in doing something that isn't that cool. How do you feel about the current direction of punk where it feels like when we were growing up, the worlds of punk and metal and hardcore were very intertwined and it feels like the more aggressive, hostile stuff that all four of us were into is kind of drifting away where even the biggest 
quote-unquote hardcore band right now, Turnstile, is putting out dream pop albums. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, I think still on a smaller scale, that crossover still occurs. I think it happens more in smaller local scenes, which is always how it's been. Uh, There's still some cross-pollination on bigger tours that I see, but I also think we live in a time where it's easier than ever to be incredibly insular and like curate your tastes. Like we were talking about this when Nate and I were recording yesterday, like some of our favorite shows are, you know, playing small towns where they don't take for granted the fact that a big tour is coming through at any given time. And like those scenes are always a wild melting pot of subcultures where like the way Nate put it is like a dude like in an ICP hat and a void t-shirt. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like (laughs) this totally incongruent mishmash of taste because anything subcultural or against the grain is like attractive to you and you don't have anybody helping you curate your taste or telling you that something is or isn't cool. Right. Which is which is rad. And so I still see that happening on like a local level. And I think people I know people and I personally strive to try to like foster that kind of cross pollination. And I think naturally those things will drift together and apart. And a lot of that stuff just, I think it just is a cyclical thing too. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, we're very much like in a pop groove right now where everything is very pop oriented. Absolutely. I think it just stuck out to me. I went to a punk show, like Hot Mulligan, and there's one dude wearing a Slayer t-shirt. And I'm like, why is that weird? I used to see that all the time. But he just like stuck out like a sore thumb. Like, when did this happen that he became the weird dude at the show? Yeah, for sure. I mean, codification happens. And and I think even like codification is a phenomenon that has been occurring for a long time. Because like, also like once genres exist for a long enough period of time, not just sound, but like social taboos and mores and things just become increasingly calcified. Yeah. And so you have a homogenization that takes place place for sure it just it is what it is i don't know man i will say i think younger like real young kids are pushing back against that a lot because booking shows at the bug house which is where i book locally a lot of the high school age kids that come out are just like they look like crust punks (laughs) like they've all got septum rings and they're wearing like patch pants and stuff yeah but they're also wearing like a 90s emo band tee yeah and they also all skate and they also all like rap So it seems like there may be a sort of stratification of genre line and people in our age group because mid to elder millennials are very comfortable just consuming the things that they have like decided they like. But I think young kids are very open to whatever is going on. That's awesome. What are your thoughts on uh, separating art from the artist? Because I know you're into some vaguely canceled bands and Morrissey and Screwdriver. Dude, I'm not into vaguely canceled. I like full on bad dude music. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear your ideology on this because as someone who has Louis C.K. bits on his iPod and sure. doesn't run to skip them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know, dude. It, it, it definitely feels intuitive for me to do that just because I think if art is tied intrinsically to the creator, then you're kind of missing the point of art, which is that it transcends like the social component of human experience. It's like a commentary and a reflection on those components of human experience, but it isn't that. Like it's something beyond and apart from that. So I think who makes a thing is kind of incidental. And I even think the ideology espoused in what you're listening to or consuming is kind of incidental. I I honestly think it's kind of a new phenomenon that people expect their ideology to be mirrored and reflected in like the culture that they consume. Yeah. That's not a thing that is largely rung true, I think, for most of like modern human history. 
And like, it just, I don't know, man. I am a person with like strong personal ideology and ethics. And if I cut out all of the things that didn't jive with my worldview, there would be very few things that I consume. Yeah. I mean, I'm currently wearing an Earth Crisis shirt and like, that's basically what I would consume is Earth Crisis and their and their friends. Yeah. And like a handful of 80s, like UK vegan squatter crust punk bands. Right. Those are the basic tenets by which I aspire to, right? Like, so there's that component of it. And there's the component of it that like at scale, the idea of selecting for what you listen to based on who's making it and like bad actors involved in the process, it just totally falls apart under even the most basic scrutiny right. because when you're consuming something again like at scale like a movie or a television production there are so many people involved in the creation of that product yeah. that there's no way you can vet everybody involved and i assure you that if you went back and you dug up the old tweets of or the recent tweets of or the personal <laughs> affairs of the gaffer on your favorite <laughs> mcu film or whatever yeah you're going to find people that straight up suck. Yeah. That maybe are bad people that are maybe donating to Stormfront. Right. Whatever. You know, <laughs> like it's just an idea that I just don't think holds up to scrutiny and it's a simple way yeah. to interact with art. It's just not something I'm interested in. Even on a personal level, like how many people do you hang out with where you agree with them 100% of the time, all the time? For sure. It's that whole homogenization of yeah. this is the way to think about everything. Well, I also <laughs> think it, I don't mean to be a buzzwordy millennial dude, but I, I feel like <laughs> that stuff does come from a certain place of privilege too because like yeah. I mean I didn't grow up rich I also didn't grow up like running the streets I was just like a working class kid growing up yeah and I ran with people that were like doing bad things sometimes and yeah. I did bad plenty of bad things right. and I like to think of myself as somebody who has like grown and become a decent person who I can look in the mirror and feel good about but like if you didn't have to grow up in a situation in which you were constantly reconciling sort of like the ethics of the people around you and what you felt was right then it maybe is a simple task for you to just like excise anything that you think is bad. If yeah. you've had a very simple life in which moral quandary doesn't <laughs> en enter into your day-to-day -day right. existence, but that is a thing that I have experienced during various points of my life. And so for me, it just feels like a natural extension of that. Right. You know? Just the fact that you have that choice available is privilege in and of itself. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's a real played out discussion for me. Yeah. You know, it's just like, <laughs> and, and also the first Screwdriver record isn't even racist. Ian Stewart kicked out all of the members after that <laughs> album. It, essentially, when they came back as a racist band, they were a different band. They only had one original member. The first record is one of the hallmarks, the fucking like cornerstones of 77 Punk. It's really fucking good good you can listen to it and not even feel bad about it <laughs> there's not even any racist stuff on that record man so just chill it's a good record no that's good that's good i want to get you on the record of that because i don't want to be anti-cancel culture or anything but it does seem like it swerves very extreme to where we're digging up tweets of everybody and yeah sussing out stuff that doesn't really matter i think the pendulum's swinging back the other way a little yeah. bit the thing about anytime i think culture swings into really like extreme and unreasonable space is that when it swings back to a more reasonable middle ground, the components that made sense kind of stick and, the, and people are like, okay, well, these things are probably good, so we can keep these. And then like, let's get rid of 
all of this really stupid, embarrassing shit that we were doing. Yeah. It's good to hold people accountable yeah. uh, for mm-hmm. being shitheads. Right. And yep. it's also good to allow people a space to grow after you've done exactly. that process. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think people are starting to have that conversation because there was a real momentum behind like, let's get this motherfucker out of here. Right. Yeah. And then people <laughs> were starting to ask a really important question, which is a question that folks that work in like social work and stuff have to actually deal with what's the next step? what then do you do with this person mm-hmm. because i've had a ton of friends who have worked in like social work specifically who work with people on the fringes like ex-cons and people who have committed really horrific acts who still exist in society and have to be reintegrated and it's very important that they're given attention and resources to allow them to do that mm-hmm. so that they don't continue to like function as bad actors in our society but like actually find a place to exist comfortably. And so when we got into this space where there was like, you know, subcultural tribunals that were excising people from culture, there was no follow-up program. There was no like mind paid to the idea of like restorative justice or like what that means and rehabilitation. It was very much just like, this person is someone else's problem now, which is not a solution at all. And I think people are starting to realize that that model is just like, it's not only inhumane, but also just like unsustainable. Well, and it's way easier. I mean, with anything, if you've got money and clout, it's way easier to survive quote unquote canceling. Like Cosby's doing a comeback to it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 for sure. (laughs) You're not gonna see (laughs) a lot of people like a punk band gets canceled. They're pretty much done. Yeah, 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 for sure. (laughs) For sure. I've always joked that I'm uncancelable because whatever were to happen like even if i were sort of like excised from subculture like i have a an immediate peer group like a friend group unless i were really doing some foul shit yeah <laughs> like if i just said a bad thing which i do every day often oftentimes on my public <laughs> podcast um you know and somebody tried to get me the fuck out of here for that i always just said like i would just log off and just go hang out with my actual real friends and family who love me and care about me. <laughs> yeah. I think so much of like what people understood, especially in sort of like subculture and, and youth culture as cancel culture, it's because of so many of those relationships when you're young and you're really invested in subculture is that your relationships aren't predicated upon human connection, but on like networking opportunities for your band and yeah. stuff. So, so many of your friendships are like optics considerations. Yeah, it's like social. It's like, Right, where it's like, hey, man, you're my dude, but you know, you did tweet the thing and like, <laughs> and my band is like currently sending out avails for a support slot with Thursday. So like, we're cool, but like, I can't be like following you right. and we can't like be seen together. Whereas we're like adult people. So it's just like, we'll just go get dinner and right. like have a normal life. You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. not, I have no social skin in like the subculture game at all. Yeah. Know? So it's, it's just important like important to have actual friendship. Yeah. yeah it's real. <laughs> important. I think that's another component is like people saw that a lot of these friendships were very, very surface level. And it became very obvious that so much of this was like socially constructed to kind of like create the illusion of having like this vast social network of supportive people. And then like the minute that a bad tweet got dug up and everybody just left the room real quick, people were like, damn, I should foster like real human relationships, Mm -hmm. which insulates.
insulates you against this sort of behavior that I think we're currently kind of like swinging back from. Well, and it's a lot easier just to cut off somebody entirely if your only interaction with them is through a phone. For sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, yeah, there's no consequence to it. You know what I mean? All right. So on to the heavy content. Yeah. Comic books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so we're doing a comic book movie tournament online. Okay. March Madness style. That sure. kicks off March 14th. What would be your nominees for the top four seeds as far as comic book movies go? I would say Superman 2. Oh, damn. So good. The Richard Donner <laughs> Superman <laughs> movies. The are, Richard, yeah. The first two are absolute bangers. I mean, you know, Richard Donner did get sort of cut out of the mix on Superman 2, and the Donner cut is really sick. Yeah. But even as it stands, Superman 2, fucking phenomenal. Uh, I would say Logan. Okay. Absolutely cool. Logan. A recent entry into the mix, The Batman. Dang. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean, dude, I mean, we can get into that at yeah. length. Um, and then just because of how groundbreaking it was and how sort of genre defining it was, the way that it built sort of the lattice work to build modern superhero movies on, I would say like Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Yeah, for awesome. sure. I'm real psyched on Sam Raimi directing the new yeah. Doctor Strange. That's about the only thing that would get me psyched for a Doctor Strange sequel. So <laughs> I'm, I'm there I, for Sam Raimi. I really liked the first Doctor Strange. I thought, yeah. I thought it was fun. Yeah. So you don't have any comic book fatigue? You're there for... Yeah, I'm, I'm all in on it, dude. Yeah. I think, like, for me, I'm still kind of, like, struck with the wonder of the fact that, like, we get to see these worlds yeah. realized on screen in a way that, as a kid, felt totally unavailable. Yeah. Because, like, certainly we had, like, the Batman movies and stuff, and I go back and I revisit those, and I think they're a lot of fun. But it didn't feel like a one-to-one -one translation of, like, what I was consuming on the page. Yeah. It felt like an interpretation of that that was, like, a decent stand-in, but it didn't have, like, the same sort of, like, reverence for lore and continuity and stuff. So yeah. this idea of, like, a, a shared universe and now, like, a multiverse and stuff, it just... I'm just, like, a mark, basically. Yeah. Because I... Because <laughs> I don't claim that any of this stuff is like culturally important. Yeah. And I think fundamentally the MCU stuff, I don't even think they're really movies. <laughs> it's, just, you know, it's just, they're certainly not film. I, right. I mean, I would agree with like Scorsese on yeah. that. Like, it's like a theme park ride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, I mean, it's, it's art by committee. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Which is not good art, but I do think it is fun to watch. Sure. I, I think it's good in the same way that Saturday morning cartoons are good. Right. It is schlock. You know what I mean? And I think when people try to lend it this gravity, toss it's deeply cringe <laughs> yeah but i like them you know yeah. what i mean I, I i'm i'm not above them at all fundamentally i am a kid i have not matured at the appropriate rate uh, <laughs> and i like just seeing people throw webs and magic blasts around <laughs> on screen yeah I mean, I even like bad superhero movies. You yeah. know what I mean? So, no, I'm not fatigued on it, man. I'm starting to get more selective on what I consume a little bit just because I'm at a saturation point where I really just want to watch the good stuff. Like, yeah. I don't feel compelled to see Venom 2. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't feel compelled to in a way that I would have 10 years ago where I'm like, well, right. this isn't good, but all we got for a while <laughs> they're they're doing some world building so we gotta cut them some slack all right yeah thor 2 had to happen for us to get ragnarok so mm -hmm. whatever i'm gonna let it fly <laughs> so you would put the batman as the best batman oh, yeah dude yeah i'm, I'm all wow. in on it yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah there yeah. it is yeah that's that's a pretty big proclamation 
Yeah. I love it. I, yeah. I love it too, man. Yeah. yeah. I would put it as the best Batman film. And I honestly, I'm going to go further and say that I don't even think it's close, really. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't even think it's close. Could we get some background on like your parasocial relationship with the character to kind of like put this into context? Yeah, dude. So I am a Batman lunatic. <laughs> uh, I'm a bat freak. This will provide all the context that you need. When I was three years old, I got chicken pox. And in order to like keep me from scratching and like put me in a good state of affairs uh, mentally, my dad wrote a letter that was from Batman <laughs> that he said the envelope contained an invisible serum that would help me stop uh, scratching my chicken pox. And then I received a call from somebody who said that they were Batman, but was actually just my mom's friend who gave me a little pep talk and then said, oh, you know, the Joker's loose. In Gotham City, I've got to go be a strong little boy. Um, and then I drank the invisible serum and like endeavored not to scratch my chicken pox because I didn't want to disappoint Batman. That's amazing. <laughs> so my relationship, literally one of my earliest human memories is watching Batman '89. I mean, yeah. I was born in '90, and so one of my really, really early memories is my stepdad bringing home Batman '89 uh, on VHS and watching it. I mean, this this was probably when I was like just barely verbal like this is a primal memory for me uh and i got into the comics pretty young too like that was probably my gateway into comics the first batman stuff that i remember reading are like it's like a three comic run from the 80s like it's like a legends series that's like a non-canonical entry and then i started getting some single issues of like the nightfall run with bane and that was pretty early in the 90s and i was just you know i was a little a really really little kid like just learning how to read kind of stuff like i was reading batman comics before i could read Read, you know just flipping through the, the pages and stuff sure. and also like the early to mid 90s were just like a massive saturation point for comics where you could just get them at on any rack at any grocery store or whatever you know yeah. I feel like Batman is an integral component of like who I am as a person I think you so. said at one point he's your favorite fictional character yes. is that correct? yes yeah. straight yeah. up favorite fictional character <laughs> I might be there with you too yeah dude so would you say that comics shaped your impression of the character yeah for okay. sure for sure I, but on the same token as a kid who grew up in the 90s with like the animated series Hell yes. <laughs> the animated series was just as if not maybe even more formative because yeah. to, to me if we're talking about like non on page representations of the character I think that's like the definitive on screen version of the character right. I don't think you can ever do better like Kevin Conroy is the voice that I hear yep. when I read <laughs> Batman comics yep. you know like anytime that they're casting Batman I'm like they better make him as square as possible <laughs> like, yeah, when, they sure. were, when they got Affleck it was like finally dude <laughs> yeah Yes. Square Batman that yes. we were promised in the animated series. Yeah, for sure, dude. Yeah. I mean, that show informed like so many of my sensibilities, even outside of the context of like Batman and animation and stuff. Like I can't divorce myself from that series. It is a critical part of me for sure. Same here. And I think that informs some of my love for this new one. Obviously, like one's a cartoon, and right. the other is definitely not. Uh, but yeah, just totally. There were things that, yep. that definitely carried over. The slower noir yep. aspect Absolutely. of it was definitely yeah. in, the, in the show. Yep. And the more gothic feel of Gotham City, which yeah. is like 
one of my favorite parts of this new movie. Agreed, so. man. Yeah. I think I would say this is probably my favorite Gotham City. Same. Like, the design oh, yeah. of the atmosphere was awesome. Yeah. It felt so lived in. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, I could just spend so much time in that world. Yeah. You know, that the, the <laughs> runtime didn't deter me at all because I was just ready to be there. I was just so deeply in Gotham City. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the city was as much a character in this movie as anything else, which is a critical part of the Batman mythos. And being yeah. in that world is that Gotham is like a living, breathing entity unto itself. And I think this is the first movie that got it right. Everything else was just like, this is kind of like bizarro Chicago or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. This was like, oh no, this is Gotham City. Mm-hmm. You know, like Burton stuff was very obviously sound stages. For sure. And like, Which is sick. Yeah. I mean, they look incredible. They look cool. But this was like kind of marrying those two worlds where yeah. like Nolan's is just whatever city they're filming yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like when I watch the Nolan Batman movies, I'll literally be like, I've been on that corner in Chicago. Yeah. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Which kind of <laughs> takes me out of it a little bit from time to time because the, the city does very much just feel like a backdrop. And in the Batman, Gotham feels like a, a key player in the story. It has to be Gotham. Yeah. Like it has to be set in Gotham City, whereas in Nolan's movies, it's it's almost not important whether sure. it's Gotham or Chicago yeah. or New York. And, and I think he got closer in Batman Begins yeah. to that being a thing, because mm-hmm. Batman Begins is actually my favorite of that trilogy. It feels the most like a, a Batman movie. It yeah. feels like, to me, by the time he got to The Dark Knight, which I think is maybe a better film than Batman Begins, I think is a worse Batman movie, because he was obviously going for something. He was trying to create like this magnum opus And the fact that Batman characters were in it almost felt like an afterthought or kind of incidental. Mm -hmm. Whereas Batman Begins was like, this is a Batman origin story. This feels like a Batman movie. This is fantastical. This feels like an adaptation of a comic book. And so while I very much understand appreciation for what he accomplished with The Dark Knight, it's not like necessarily what I want to see in a Batman movie, you know? It's funny you say that, because I kind of got that vibe with The Batman, thinking like, this is almost a cosplay Batman doing a Seven remake. Like, it very much reminded me of that, especially when they go to, like, the Riddler's hideout. Like, this looks like Kevin Spacey's apartment. He even has, like, a line where he's like, you can't just tap people on the shoulder anymore. You have to get their attention. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I get that. This film is very obviously indebted. Uh, to other stuff and like plenty of reviewers have have noted that right but at the same point in general yeah yeah (laughs) but it didn't take me out of it i didn't think there was strong enough kind of like one-to-one where i mean yes seven is like a distinct work zodiac is a distinct work but also those works build upon like a very long and established legacy of films in their genre too right so this just felt to me like another entry in that in that genre continuation of that it didn't affect me while watching it i think i reflected on it a bit after the fact sure yeah. Oh, okay, I could see some some DNA there, but yeah, it did not bother me during the film. Yeah. So, what do you think of the story? You thought the runtime felt okay? Yeah, I was looking at reviews just to like reaffirm that my opinion was good. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, the only thing that like I saw consistently from like people saying that they didn't like it was runtime. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That that could have been a little more compressed. Do you guys think it was a little bloated? I don't know that you necessarily need to clip anything. Like I didn't feel the runtime watching it. Yeah. But also, like if the whole Catwoman Penguin subplot was like a side quest in a video game, you could still complete the movie without it. I feel like you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I didn't not like it. There's some yeah. great stuff. There. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went into it thinking I was gonna fucking hate it. Yeah. You just didn't like the look of emo really? Dude, Pattinson. I, I thought it was like just forced hot topic emo Batman. Well, like just from dude, the previews. Here's the 
the interesting part. I talked to a couple people before this that were like, Pattinson, the Twilight guy? And I was like, mm -hmm. no, no, he's like a real actor. No, he's the lighthouse guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. The funny thing is, the good after time seeing guy. this movie, I think this is probably his most similar performance to what he was doing in Twilight. <laughs> yeah. That's how yeah. it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's kind of, dude. That's kind of true. Yeah. That's, I really like the point. way they frame the character and kind of the line of dialogue Riddler uses at the end where they say that like Batman is his true self and he's wearing yes. his costume when he's out as yeah. Bruce Wayne. Yep. Yep. I thought yep. that was a really cool well, take. There's a there's a line in Batman Beyond where he's talking about how he sees himself. He basically says that the way that he refers to himself in his head isn't Bruce. It's oh, Batman. Yeah. yeah. Like he calls himself <laughs> Batman in his head. And I always felt like, oh man, that is such like a beautiful insight into the character <laughs> is in his own mind. He He's not Bruce Wayne. Right. He is Batman, right? <laughs> like, Bruce Wayne is the mask, right? Like, that's the costume. And yeah. I think that component of this film felt like... I was so happy to finally see that come to fruition on screen and see somebody like fundamentally understand that Batman's not the costume. Like this is who this person is fundamentally, yeah. like mm -hmm. in the deepest reaches of their DNA. This yeah. is who they are. You know, I think he has way more screen time as Batman. Yes. Yeah. Oh, dude, don't get me started on complaining about the Batman screen time in the Nolan films, dude. Because each yeah, one yeah. goes down. By the time yeah. you get to Dark Knight Rises, yeah. there's no Batman. It's in all the movie. Bruce Wayne. Yep. And yeah. I'm just like, dude, I want Batman. Batman in my Batman movies. Yeah, yeah. As somebody who also grew up very rooted in like the Tim Burton 90s, I was very reluctant to get into Chris Nolan's Batman movies just because of the way Christian Bale looked in the suit. Like, I remember watching Batman Begins as like a shithead teenager. Like, I think I laughed in the theater the first time I saw him. He's doing the voice. Like, it took me a minute to get into it. Do you yeah. find yourself emotionally attached to those roots or you're ready to embrace the new guy regardless? I'm, I'm no, I'm, I'm fully on board for this. Like I said, yeah. I, I just think this was such a complete vision where every yeah. component like i just think every cylinder was like hitting on this you yeah. know like it was everything came together and coalesced in a way that just felt so fucking satisfying man like yeah. I, i'm just i'm so i've seen it twice already Hell yeah. i'm sure i will see, <laughs> i'm sure i will see it more i don't doubt i will see this 10 times total in the theater yeah. like i'm so so <laughs> into this i'm yes. also like a, an obsessive weirdo who will like go see movies i even only kind of like more than once in the theater because i also really just like going to movie theaters like it's yeah. my favorite thing to do especially by myself like yeah. as a non-social affair just like going to a movie and being alone and like yeah. totally disconnecting from everything else it's incredibly meditative for me yeah you know we went oh go ahead i was gonna say gray <laughs> gray mentioned that it was like firing on all cylinders and we've got such a good team of people here matt reeves the director i've loved since the planet of the apes movies, movies that he yeah. somehow like he somehow turned that concept into like really stunning <laughs> yeah movies. which ironically sure. tim burton couldn't yeah that is true yes <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. so i've been on board since then yeah and i love when he works with michael giacchino the composer yeah that was incredible Giacchino's yeah always amazing yeah. apparently he wrote some of this score before he saw a second of footage that's it. yeah um, he nailed it yeah, yeah. It's so yeah. good it's so and it's so like harmonically simple at times mm -hmm. and structurally simple yeah but it just like supports the thesis that this character is kind of simplistic like, yeah in yeah. his drive and what he's going for and he almost has this it follows quality of like just being this constantly moving force yeah it's just constantly yeah. driving ahead that's how I felt about the score. I felt like the score was reflecting that. That's mm -hmm. really yeah. cool. Did you think they leaned too heavily on the Something in the Way soundtrack clip? I know well, you're not a big I fan know of I don't like yeah. needle drops. Would they use it like two or three times? Two, a couple times. I think yeah. two times. Yeah. I was, yeah, it was all right. I was okay with it, especially since the rest of it was very 
traditional, which I thought was cool. I don't think there was a single use of like synthesizer in the score, which we've no. come to just expect since yeah. the Zimmerization of, <laughs> uh, soundtracks. But right. yeah, somehow none of that. It reminded me a lot of Joker in that way. Like it was a big orchestral kind of throwback yeah Yeah. oh absolutely (laughs) i think giacchino did a bit of that in the planet of the apes too he has this very like i don't know classical quality to some of the stuff he does that you just haven't heard since movies in like the 60s and 70s yeah for sure no and that was again harkening back to batman 89 that was another reason i was reluctant to get into batman begins the theme wasn't quite formed yet whereas Mm. the dark knight it's there and it's in your face Mm. but like danny elfman's score for those first two movies like that was fucking incredible i love those so much i may be the the one that was i I was so ready for batman begins when i you said you were too yeah i loved it so much yeah Yeah, i guess i was way ready for it ryan's in a different camp i think part of it for me is like i wasn't coming off of burton i was coming off of schumacher yeah yeah Uh, Because Batman Forever was, like, huge for my brother and I when we were kids for some reason. Uh, watching it now, yeah. it's it's not a great movie. <laughs> yeah. It's not. No. I do. I will say I still like it, though. I do. Yeah. I don't like Batman and Robin literally at all. But yeah. I, think, I, I, I think Forever does campy Batman in a way that still feels, like, very fun. I still think yeah. it's fun to, like, go in and, like, visit that world. I feel like everybody gives Jim Carrey shit for this Riddler, but... Tommy Lee Jones is oh, way worse dude, in that movie. So bad. <laughs> he's like trying to match Jim Carrey's energy. Yeah. He just yeah. can't do it. Well, and there's like this story of like Jim Carrey trying to like talk to him on set and he's just like, I can't even deal with your buffoonery. And yeah, he's like, he dude, said, look yeah. in the fucking mirror, man. I, I can't. I think he said, I can't sanction your buffoonery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wild. It also, actually, because I, too, fucking hate needle drops. I hate licensed music in movies almost (laughs) every time. When the first Suicide Squad dropped, (laughs) and every passing second was a new licensed song, I was like, what the fuck is happening? This is like a fever dream. Well, and it kills me when that stuff somehow works its way into conversation for like best soundtrack I know like yeah. best score of the year what the fuck are what you the, talking about that's like score. being like yeah. so album of the year goes to this kid that made a playlist that <laughs> yeah, I like yeah, yeah for sure as opposed to people that actually wrote music but I will say Forever has a needle drop that I really like which is when they go into Riddler's apartment slash oh, yeah. hideout and Bad Days by Flaming Lips drops yeah it's a really good drop well, that oh, shot yeah. is really cool too yeah, it's how a they really take good you shot. through yeah yep. For sure. That's like a genuinely really good scene and an example, I think, of that, of of using a licensed song in a way that feels natural and good instead of very, very bad. Do you guys know know what happened to the whole Ben Affleck standalone Batman? I think he was just going through the divorce and like AA and stuff. Like he just couldn't take it on. So he abandoned the project. But I don't know how like far they got into it. I think Matt Reeves pretty much started from scratch, is what I've read. Okay. I can't imagine Batflex would be near this no. in quality. No way. Wouldn't it been more like Frank Miller, where he's like old and just doesn't give a shit? Somewhat, doing, yeah. Was doing I think that. it still yeah. would have had that Snyder verse Snark City. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what a bummer. Yeah. I think, because I think Ben Affleck is actually a really good casting choice. Yeah. But he was in some of the most unwatchable superhero movies ever, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, ever filmed. Mm-hmm. So He's a good lead, but yeah, definitely in some bad timelines. Oh, dude. <laughs> So, so bad. I mean, even Colin Farrell's not bad as Bullseye. Like, I remember watching that and thinking, this is not terrible, but the movie itself. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the, it's unbelievable. Dude. Yeah. Damn, maybe I need to go back and watch Daredevil and Elektra. I never saw Elektra. I never got around to that. It's pretty cool. Uh, maybe I should do like a week 
of like <laughs> palate cleansing after seeing this really excellent film. Yeah. Like Electra, Catwoman, Let's get all the bad ones. Green, out of the way. Green <laughs> yeah. Lantern, Venom Two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Finally, I can watch Venom Two because I watched like a bunch of Batman movies. Like I did like my yearly rewatch of all of the stuff leading up to the Batman, mm-hmm. and most of those I like on some level. So maybe I can actually go see Morbius in the theater, and my lead up to Morbius can be watching all the worst superhero movies. There you time. go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I can watch uh, X Men or. Origins Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good ones out there. (laughs) I saw that one in theaters. Yeah. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Unbelievable, dude. It was the first X-Men I ever saw. That was the first one. I was like, this is sick. Will I am's in it. Dude, I I once got in an actual fight with our late friend Ty about X-Men Origins Wolverine. We were on we were on like a long drive, so it was me and Ty and a couple other dudes were driving out to New York to pick up our homie for the holidays who lived out there at the time and then drive straight back. And we were stuffed in Ty's little tiny Yaris. Yeah. And we were like four decently sized grown men picking up a fifth. So we were just talking like comic books and comic book movies and whatnot and Ty was like, oh man, I, I thought I thought Wolverine was pretty cool. And I was like, dude, no way. I was like, it's one of the worst comic book movies ever filmed. It's, it's truly awful. And he was like, no, dude, it's it's pretty good. Like, this is good, this is good. And it had Deadpool. And I was like, but it didn't have Deadpool right. in it. I was like, first of all, that's not points in its column because it's fucking Deadpool. But also, like... It's a not even Deadpool. Yeah. And like, yeah, we kind of got Gambit, but not really. And like, that's right. I, I was, forgot about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, how could you forget Mon ami? <laughs> And we got into it where he was like, um, why are you being so intense about this? I was like, because, dude, it's X Men Origin Wolverine. Like, just have some taste, man. Yeah. Like, we were, re- I mean, we'd been in the car for a long time. And like, we were really going back and forth. It ended up spiraling into like a bigger fight about like comic book movies and stuff, too, because then he started talking about how. How he hated time travel and I was like it can be used as a good plot device <laughs> and we were just like really going in like and you know and it was like not even friendly anymore <laughs> I was just like it was good it was one of my favorite fights that I've ever had about <laughs> X-Men Origins Wolverine but again, that's at a time period where you're just so hungry for yes, comic book content for sure. that you're like, Wolverine has his own movie. You don't yeah, like it? Yeah, what the hell? Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I feel bad for Hugh Jackman on that front. Like, uh, me too. I've man. done eight of these movies. You guys finally got it right on the last one. I know, And dude. you want me to do 20 more years of the character now? Yeah, like, for damn. sure, dude. He got he really drew the short straw on that, man. <laughs> as much as I'd love to see like a Wolverine-Deadpool crossover movie, I, I get it. You can yeah. go do something else for a while. For sure, man. Yeah, he put in his time (laughs) yeah he paid his penance with logan and uh again a really in my opinion a very good casting choice yeah just had the misfortune of like being in some bad movies for sure and a couple pretty good ones yeah now so as far as casting i wanted to ask you guys opinion go around the room here like a gold medal stand as far as batman villains Mm -hmm. does anybody from the batman make that list i mean dude i think Paul Dano put in like an all-time performance. Yeah. Because honestly, so my only apprehension going into this movie, like truly my only one, was that the villains wouldn't feel enough like the Batman rogues gallery because this did feel like, you know, okay, we're going for like a more grounded take on the character.
character, but his villains, like his roster of villains are super fantastical. Yeah. So how do we like find a medium ground where the Riddler still feels like the Riddler, but is also kind of like this take on like the Zodiac Killer, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But I thought that they perfectly nailed the middle ground on that. Like he at once felt imposing and terrifying and like somebody that could very much actually exist, but felt distinctly like the Riddler. Yeah. And I think obviously the writing went a long way on that. And then also just Paul Dano's performance was absolutely stellar. Yeah. Um, Now I remember the days of Nolan, there was all these stupid rumors that like Angelina Jolie was going to be Catwoman and Johnny Depp was going to be the Riddler. And I was like, (laughs) I just don't see how like, yeah, the Riddler's going to fit into Chris Nolan's universe. There's no way. And like people started shitting on the costume design for Paul Dano's character before it came out. And I was like, this looks a lot better than just being like a weird game show host. Like (laughs) this makes sense. For sure. I also think that something really like cunning about this movie is that it built sort of like a semi-realistic groundwork and like base layer that you could actually build a more fantastical universe on top of yeah. because you like are actively seeing Gotham and its residents lose their fucking minds oh, yeah. and like descend into madness during the course of this film and it go from basic political corruption into accepting that there's actually this like cabal of conspirators that are running the city yeah. and you have this outlandish villain come to the forefront and so I think you're building a world in which the next film could still feel grounded but those characters could inhabit a more fantastical space and it would feel like a natural progression of Gotham's story arc as a city yeah. as opposed to feeling like a tonal departure, you know? For sure. And I think they do a really good job of just establishing like a base layer on which to build that and like the Riddler is an incredible jumping off point yeah. for that. No, I love Paul Dano, but I, I don't know. I felt like it came off a little forced at points for me. It almost reminded me like Tom Hardy where he's like trying to outact like all the stuff on him sure. so that he's being seen for his yeah, performance sure, but yeah, yeah. no as a whole i mean it's nowhere near the worst batman villains we've seen for sure <laughs> yeah no actually i'm 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 right up there i'm giving it a gold medal dude gold I, yeah wow. yeah i loved that performance i love awesome. that interpretation of the character in general all right so who's your silver and bronze oh uh, well okay actually let me flip this real quick because <laughs> if i'm doing a top three of all time i actually yeah. got to put nicholson in, in gold all right because i think that's an all-time career performance for nicholson who's yeah. a dude is, who has turned in quite a few all-time career performances for sure but man like just as a get alone like just getting Nicholson yeah is amazing because by that time the dude is like a true legend right but he brings like so much swagger to that character that I feel is inherent to the Joker for sure and a charisma that I don't think has been effectively recreated since yeah like he has the charisma to make you believe like yeah this fool is the Joker for yeah. sure I was like Nicholson's movie when it came out absolutely <laughs> like I watched I mean I watched that movie basically for Nicholson at this yeah. point. Like when I go back and rewatch that two to three times a year, as <laughs> as any normal person would and should do, right. I'm watching that for Nicholson's performance. So yeah. I would say Nicholson and then honestly I'm gonna give silver to Paul Dano and the Riddler. All right, um, and then obviously bronze is gonna be Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, uh, then I would, I uh, yes, yeah, obviously, yeah. obvious choice. Uh, and then I'll, I'll give, uh, I'll give the late great Heath Ledger his, his flowers and, right, and give him go. the bronze again, an all-time career performance. You know, I would give it to Joaquin, but he's the protagonist of his own film, so mm. yeah. you know what I'm saying. What do you think of Joker? Were oh, you I a fan love, of that? I love that yeah. movie. Yeah, again, a, a film that. You could easily make, as you made the argument for the Batman, which I I don't necessarily agree with, but understand the perspective. 
a film that is very indebted to its influences. Right. Uh, to, to the point where it's like, it's wearing them on its sleeve, like in a really obvious way. Yeah. But it, again, it didn't take me out of like yeah. the viewing experience. I thought it was excellent. The only reason I think it really got any pushback is because we were in a weird cultural moment where everything was like, they're in, he's in cell, he's yeah. in cell, that's in cell. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's just <laughs> like, okay, guys, no. look, everyone that likes the Joker is not Elliot Rogers. Right. It's just a, he's just a really compelling comic book villain. <laughs> dude and joaquin phoenix is like the best living actor so yeah just let this be good yeah <laughs> i get it no one no. likes todd phillips he directed the hangover films, <laughs> but like he made a good movie let's all just chill it's have good. you seen todd phillips uh gg allen documentary i have hated yes, yeah yeah that shit's great it's, it is very good yep. <laughs> It's weird to think that's where he started it, from. It, it's it's weird, but also like makes sense as yeah. like a character arc. You yeah, know? yeah, for sure. All right, Max, who's on your metal stand? Oh gosh, it's tough, <laughs> dude. It's too hard. Like I, I haven't seen any any of the Batman movies, but this one in such a long time. And I'm so I'm such a bad person when it comes to like recency bias. Mm, yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, I'll say that I think Killian Murphy should be up higher than people usually put For sure. him. Yeah, he's uh, tight. I also, I think Heath Ledger is one of those things where, like, I've seen that performance so many times that I'm, like, jaded. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, but I feel like, let's just put it in top three just to be... Just get him like, on there. <laughs> yeah, because there was sure. definitely a time where I was, like mind blown that was yeah. so good yeah i want to i don't know if he like had a big enough role in this movie but i just want to say colin farrell yeah brought <laughs> as much to this performance as he brings to like any leading role yes. that he has like yeah. he just he's so good um some of like the only levity in this film comes from him and yeah. so maybe that's also like i like him uh for that aspect of it but I could almost tie him in this movie with John Totoro. Yeah, who oh, I dude. thought was like best Carmine Falcone I've ever seen. Hands down, yeah, that was tight. Yeah. yeah. Did you recognize him eventually? Because you leaned over to me, Ben, when we were watching it, and said, "Who's that dude?" And I said, "It's the Jesus." And you looked at me like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah, I recognize him like a fuck ton of shit. Yeah, he's done a yeah. lot. He's yeah. the dude from uh, Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds. Yes, dude, I okay. am. I'm very sneaky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. That's where it probably was. Yeah. Who's on your metal stand, Ben? Dude, I'm so scared to say. Go ahead. Um, well, mostly because, like, I'm younger than you guys. I haven't seen all those fucking, like, original Batmans. Fine, man. I waffled yeah. on mine. Dude, so I'm yeah. fine with whatever you say. I've, I've seen The Dark Knights, this new one. Are you going to say Superman? No, dude. <laughs> Heath, number one. Yeah, fair. The new Riddler, who's fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, um, two and then three since i really haven't seen anything dude i think i think tom hardy just because like it's so fucking hard to act with just like your eyes and that's it yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like i just give mad respect for that you, you don't true. mind what he did this <laughs> yeah. you don't mind that at all you think that's a pretty good performance actually <laughs> dude well just like <laughs> the fucking eyes man like yeah like, no for sure you know i what agree I mean? yeah i agree he was like he got more shit after the fact for that than he probably deserved because yeah, yeah. i actually think he's probably the bright point of that film for me i really like the scenes where bane is on screen and not much else of that movie yeah honestly. yeah I agree with that. like the dude the scene where he puts the hand on his shoulder and he's like do you feel in control oh yeah, yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> that's a bad motherfucker oh, yeah. he has that line too where he's like 
This would be very bad for you. For you. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's a good one. That's great. Uh, and I was just happy to get like, I was happy to get like mastermind villain Bane on screen at all. Yeah. Because the only on screen <laughs> Bane we ever got was Batman and Robin, which is like the green juice. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Just how bad it was. And he's up there in the like the top yeah. tier of Batman villains. So to get like a loving <laughs> adaptation. Yeah. Also, can I say some nerd shit real quick? Go for it. That's what this is for. In the, in the Batman, at the end of the film in the climax where he's like trying to get up to save Selena, but oh, he yeah. can't, I think the shit he put in his leg was Venom. That's that the too. Bane juice. Was, yeah. that That's what I thought too. Because yeah, there, there is a storyline in which he gets addicted to Venom. Really? Yes. Okay. That's There's a storyline in which he gets addicted to Venom and he has to kick drugs and whatnot that actually predates like the Bane, like Nightfall Venom story arc and all that stuff. So that is like a classic pool, like classic bat, like 80s, late 80s Batman. Batman uh, comic book arcs and stuff. That's totally a thing. Yeah. Uh, and it was like a green juice that he shot. And because at first, on the first viewing, I was like, oh, I imagine that's just like, you know, an adrenaline shot or yeah. whatever. But then when I saw, I was like, that's some lime green ass adrenaline. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. I think that's Venom. Yeah. There was no real setup for it. Exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. makes me think that's the setup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah probably. Sure. So. And the way it, it ramped up like his aggression and he was about to like kill that dude. Yeah. yeah. That, I'm like, oh, shit. That's Venom, dude. Yeah. Did you guys expect any like origin shit? Like, did you expect parents to die again? Nah, I I, I saw ghoul mentions. No, nah, I I knew they were I knew they were better than that. Yeah, <laughs> I knew they were better than that. We even got a parent death in the Joker. So yeah, it was yeah. just like, dude, yeah. we have rehashed that so many times. <laughs> I I trust Matt Reeves to have the finesse and class to like not write this into the story. Yeah, and I was so glad we got a year two Batman instead of a year one. Yep. So yeah. that it because it did very much feel like an origin story but not in the clunky origin story way like we're catching this dude as he's like still getting his sea legs yeah. but he is also the Batman and I also felt like his character arc in it was so satisfying like starting out where the juxtaposition of him identifying as vengeance and being called vengeance mm -hmm. and then the Riddler's crony at the end being like oh we're vengeance we're the and, same yes <laughs> and him realizing like oh shit the Batman has to be a symbol that represents something else like yeah something more transcendent hope like it's corny but it also felt like yes we're seeing this dude become the batman yeah i think that was another thing that i really loved about 89 is that it didn't spoon feed you origin stuff yeah. of like here's how he found his cape and now he's gonna wear it forever for sure like, yeah, yeah, yeah you kind of get the stuff along the way and exactly, that's yeah. exactly what this movie did yep for he's, sure he's such a jerk throughout the movie yeah like when, he, yeah. when he's like giving alfred shit for wearing the family coat oh, yeah, 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 like, yeah are yeah. you serious <laughs> yeah for sure but then yeah and i was not really expecting like i got a little teary when he has the moment gray just referred to where he realizes he's a hair away from being these bad guys that he just beat up yeah and so after talking the whole movie about how he's the fucking shadows yeah he takes out this torch and is literally the light to lead these people yeah, out of danger no and tight. i was like Oh shit! They got me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting worked yeah. up just thinking about it, dude. Uh, yeah. yeah, dude. And like, and the juxtaposition of that scene early on, where like they do the big Batman reveal, and the dude that he just saved is like, "Don't hurt me." And yeah. then at the end of the movie, he's like reaching out and lifting these people out of the rubble. Mm -hmm. Oh, dude, it's so good. 
You mentioned something when we were talking about, I think it was Black Widow, like three or four episodes ago, about how tame Marvel fight scenes are. Oh, dude, I know. I guess I never really noticed it, but then I watched this movie and he's just fucking clobbering people, man. Like, the fight scenes are so good. And like, Gray, I went back and watched the Tim Burton movies and like, Michael Keaton's immobile in that suit. Like, the fight scenes are so bad. He's figured out the neck this time. Yeah. Yeah. The first time he's been able to move the neck thanks to like, the the high cowl. Yeah, Yeah, the cowl covering up the creases or whatever. Yeah. No, yeah, it's great. The, no, dude, the action was like a real high point of this because, yeah. again, one of the only parts of the Snyderverse that I enjoyed was when Batman is just whooping ass in that room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, it feels really good to finally see a Batman on screen who is as physical as his character is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because this dude is, yeah, he's the greatest detective and he's also like a top tier ass beater. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially like the Miller version that Ben Affleck was pulling from, you know, but mm-hmm. seeing this character be so physical in that finale sequence where he's just like flitting about and fucking like hitting everybody with like the grappling hooks and oh man I was just like this is what Batman action is supposed to look like this character is supposed to be this physical and dude Marvel action scenes in general even apart from just being a mess of just CGI that is hard to believe is happening the cuts like the edits are oh yeah nobody makes contact (laughs) it's a truly inscrutable mess of nonsense where there's actually no continuity at all they're just relying on the cuts being fast enough and the colors being (laughs) bright enough that you're not going to notice that none of what's happening on screen connects to the last thing you saw a half a second ago yeah which is such a bad way to cut action it is such a western way to cut action reminds me a lot of bad like 90s power rangers for sure (laughs) i it's it feels strange that it's just now dawning on people to like do long cut action in like i remember when daredevil did like the long hallway fight scene oh yeah yeah. and it was just like yeah this feels intuitive right guys like that the action should be visible yeah and should feel contiguous like authentic everything is happening in the same place in like a in a single line of momentum and not like it's random cuts to places in a room that we don't even really know what looks like with a bunch of faceless characters yeah that feels intuitive but it took a long time for people in the mainstream to be like this is actually good to yeah do. i feel like that's the whole reason like the russo brothers elevated up the marvel ladder like yeah. oh look how they do action sequences yeah, for man sure. these guys kick ass yeah agreed agreed for sure we lost a lot of clarity when the born series happened in the yeah. yeah everything became like this quick cut editing nonsense yeah yeah, yeah no doubt man that was that was bad yeah we're still suffering from that i think yeah for sure no, I think that was one of my only gripes with this movie was I had the seven parallel in my head quite a bit throughout it. So yeah. I was hoping for a big what's in the box finale. Right. Were sure. you guys satiated with the finale you got here? Yes. I yeah. was. I absolutely was. Because going into it, I had the same sort of expectation, especially because I was like, ooh, Court of Owls. Right. The, which is really where I thought they were going to yeah. go with like, oh, we're, we're unmasking Gotham. Yeah, like, yeah. There's so much more going on behind the scenes here. And they could still go that direction for sure. I mean, there's plenty of space left to do that. Yeah. But I was pretty convinced that we were going to, at the very least, get like some sort of Court of Owls twist at the end. Yeah. We didn't. 
And so it feels like it would be very easy for me to be let down because of my expectations going into it. But I think that the completion of that character arc actually felt a zillion times more satisfying than just a big gotcha moment like, oh, actually this crazy thing is happening. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, just seeing him be like, oh, wow, I've grown as a character yeah. felt like yeah. remarkably refreshing in a comic book film. It definitely didn't feel like a comic book movie. Like it didn't yeah. have that Marvel safety net to it. For sure. Right. Yeah. There was no big blue beam coming out of the sky. <laughs> yeah. right. The world wasn't close to exploding. Yeah, no, there was just sure. one city. Yeah. The stakes but, feel good. Oh, yes. it was incredibly refreshing. Yeah. Just so no. much more grounded. Oh, shit. What am I going to do about these 50 incompetent people with guns? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. But it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. And then the other thing was like the riddles didn't have a whole lot of urgency to them. Some of the riddles are kind of easy to figure out. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. But I mean. I like that they hung a lampshade on it with Colin Farrell being like world's greatest detective. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, that was okay. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good for sure. <laughs> I liked that. I really liked how the Riddler thought he was working with the Batman the whole time. And honestly, oh. like it felt like it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They, they both wanted the same people gone. Yeah, yeah. you know, that they was, saw themselves. It felt like they were like fucking partners in crime, even though Batman didn't want to be. Yeah, it was a weird thing. It was cool. Yeah. yeah, there was also enough like little Easter egg nods that if you're like a a deeply anal retentive nerd who like <laughs> searches for that stuff, that it still felt like. There were moments in when I was I knew for a fact I was the only one in the theater that was like oh shit, <laughs> uh, like when they were doing like you know the Riddler's video about the Waynes and the Arkham's was playing and shit and he had Hush written over. Yep. Oh the yeah, yeah. So I was like oh, oh, oh yeah, like, I, yeah, I see you, motherfucker. <laughs> and and the reporter shared the same last name, Elliot. Oh yeah, as the character of Hush in the comic yeah. book arc. So I was like, oh, oh holy shit. <laughs> Are they setting up a Hush storyline? Right. And even if they're not, just like the wink was really yeah. nice, you know? And I think the more times I go back and watch it, the more I'll discover those. I think there are a lot of little nods to like comic book readers in there that will allow you to peel back layers on this film for a long time yeah. moving forward, you know? The whole thing kicking off on Halloween too like, kind of harkens yeah. back to the long Halloween. Yeah, of course. And even like, you know, uh, Carmine Falcon being like the main the kind of like the big bad behind it all yeah also like selena kyle being his illegitimate daughter like there's so much that's like that's pulled from directly from the page that i felt that didn't feel like pandering did you feel like tossing the joker cameo at the end was a little pandering or were you okay with that i could see it going either way like first of all it had gotten leaked a long time ago because oh yeah his brother like drunkenly posted on facebook about it <laughs> oh shit yeah his, i didn't know that his brother was like well guess the news is out my little bro's playing the joker <laughs> and then like i can only imagine the family conversation that happened where he's like the news is definitely not out yeah it is you now. delete this immediately so and he had been associated with some bit part yeah that was like a very clear diversion from yeah. the fact that he was playing a more significant role imdb had him as like officer yeah. uh something or other right. yeah, yeah. it's just like nah dude this is he's clearly going to be cast in like some sort of important role that will have a bigger part in a future film yeah so the joker reveal didn't feel like that much of a reveal yeah um and i'm actually still i think he's a he's a good actor i really like him in the killing of a sacred deer a lot oh yeah yeah um and he he clearly can play a, an unhinged psychopath very well <laughs> but i'm interested to see if the joker will factor heavily into the second film or if he's going to be more of a background character yeah 
Uh, some people have like theorized that he might be more of like a Hannibal Lecter, where they're like consulting him in Arkham, which I think could yeah. be a really interesting way to use the character. Yeah. yeah, because putting him at the forefront is like a big risk. Yeah, especially considering we just got a really excellent Joker standalone film that's yeah. fresh in everybody's mind. Part of me was hoping it was going to be Joaquin Phoenix on the other side of that I wall. Just, I was <laughs> holding my breath. Let, we got to let Jared Leto like waft out. Of the room, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure, dude. Are you scared? <laughs> have too many villains in the next one no i don't think so no yeah. I'm, I'm not scared after seeing that movie i'm like not scared of anything <laughs> i think that i'm i feel invincible i'm, I'm like yeah. yeah we're about to get the sickest batman trilogy ever I'm here with you man who would you like to see a, who's a rogue that we haven't seen yet or that you think could be done better or differently what would you like to see that's a really good question because i don't think you do need to go huge in this universe right. you know what i mean yeah. do you have anybody that comes to mind immediately no not personally i think i saw it with mason yesterday and i think he had heard a rumor that like they were considering messing around with uh mad hatter sure oh really yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 which i my only impression of mad hatter is really the animated series sure. yeah i don't know he's <laughs> not the most compelling character in that nah. series and again it almost gets close to like joker riddler territory where it's like if you don't have like a specific take on this it can kind of just end up as this like middling yeah. yeah not enough of its own character i think you could do something like firefly really effectively in this world who's you know just a fucking pyromaniac with a jetpack like i think you could get that done in this universe in a way that feels appropriate for the stakes involved because it does feel very grounded in Gotham and not like it's indebted to this larger world in which there are like because that's the problem with like you know the Ben Affleck Batman if they had gone through with that how do you reel the stakes back from this cosmic threat yeah. and have yeah. him dealing with street level villains and have it feel compelling or appropriate in scale at all right. that's the same reason that the MCU shit that scales shit back yeah. doesn't work well like the Hawkeye series was not very good for a number of reasons mm. but also there were no stakes comparatively you know like yeah cool we got the Kingpin and stuff and there are like nice nods to pre-existing on-screen universes but nothing here feels important because this dude has been shooting at aliens with a yeah. bow and arrow <laughs> So, like, how do I feel like this matters? How is he not able to deal with, like, a street gang? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, whereas this feels, again, like, so self-contained that you don't have to, like, ramp up the threat to this massive, unbelievable level. You can throw another just-above-street-level villain in the mix and still have the stakes feel, like, very compelling. Mm -hmm. So, Do you think it's more grounded than Nolan's? Because that's what I liked about Nolan's, dude. It just felt real. Yeah. Like this shit was possible. Uh, no, I, I don't think it feels as grounded as Nolan's. This feels a little bit more fantastical, just barely, but in a way that I think strikes the perfect balance, like exactly what I would want to see with like an on-screen Batman film, because I don't need it to feel as real as Nolan's movies yeah. felt. That's what I meant when I said like the characters kind of felt like an afterthought in that movie, just because everything was so grounded that these people could just be like detectives or cops right. or yeah. anybody, and it wouldn't have that much of a bearing on like what I'm seeing take place on screen. Whereas this, while it still felt relatively believable most of the time, 
it needed to be like the Batman and Catwoman and the Penguin. And these characters felt larger than life in a, in the context of a universe that did still feel relatively grounded. Like they felt like the legends they deserve to be. Yeah. They felt elevated above the sort of like everyday life that you saw just taking place in Gotham. Whereas like, Very again, like in the, in the Nolan films, like Batman was just another dude in that world. That may, yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. I think, I mean, the Batman is like a creature yeah. in yeah. this movie. <laughs> yes. yeah, it it's not the mythic god thing that Snyder was doing. I think there's right. a little bit of that, but there's this scariness to it. Yeah. yeah. There's the way that like every cop is just kind of uncomfortable when he's there yeah. and yeah. doesn't yeah. want him to be there. But yeah, the Batman in this felt like he felt like a primal archetype. You know what I mean? Like mm. I just I don't know, dude. I can't say enough good things about this movie. Yeah, I love I wanna it. Go watch I want to go watch it literally today, and I, <laughs> I, I straight up might. Because my girl and I don't have anything to do today. It's Sunday. She wants to see it again anyway. I very well might go see it after this. It made me appreciate how much they focused on making Batman a detective again, too. Like, yes, yeah, for sure. Nolan kind of made him superhero James Bond. Yeah, and yeah, this yeah. got way back to, yep. he's a detective. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> dude. The way that they struck the balance between him appearing like this shadowy, mythical figure to the people that he was fighting, to these street-level villains, and the way that he did actually still feel like human and fallible in the private moments where you saw like behind the mask mm-hmm. was a real excellent and compelling juxtaposition so you could believe this was a person behind here but at the same time like he was exactly the sort of legendary figure that you need the Batman to be yeah you know what I mean I don't know dude it's it's hard for me to like fully articulate like my my (laughs) reverence for their treatment of the character I've just been waiting for so long for them to really get it right and I just think this was this was like finally it it's going to be real interesting going from this and like jumping back when the Flashpoint movie comes out yeah. and seeing like Batfleck on screen again <laughs> and seeing Keaton and seeing Ezra Miller's like god awful Flash. Uh, yeah. It's just going to be like serious whiplash. Yeah. No, they had that DC advertisement like before the movie yeah, yeah, started. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is part of that, huh? Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the next movie's Black Adam. Black that Adam. doesn't feel the same at all. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm so bummed that we're getting Dr. Fate shoehorned into. To a Dwayne the Rock Johnson Black <laughs> Adam movie. Yeah. Again, I'm just like, that's a character that I've been hoping would be treated with some reverence and gravitas and get like a proper on screen representation ever. Yeah. And the fact that his debut on the big screen is in The yeah. Rock's Black Adam <laughs> film, I'm just like, damn, dude, really doing Pierce Brosnan dirty. <laughs> really doing yeah. Dr. Fate dirty. Because again, good character that could very well be a compelling supporting character in a better series of films. Yeah. Are you hoping that this has established such a high bar of quality that they don't meddle with the other DC characters coming into this Batman universe? Yeah, dude. So I'm always in conflict with this particular point. Yeah. Because I think to incorporate this into a larger universe would immediately compromise the integrity of this universe. But I am like dork supreme. So I want him to be like Clark. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want him to just say the name Clark. You know? Martha. I I just want him to have kryptonite in his pocket. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so much of me that just, I mean, I just grew up on the crossover event. Right. You know what I mean? Like, this very 90s phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. Late 80s and 90s phenomenon. You know, I am a sucker for that shit. I am a sucker for crossovers and shared universes. But I don't I don't want to see that with this series yeah. of films, you know. 
Now, me and Max were talking beforehand about Ewan McGregor's black mask, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I love that, but I don't yeah. know if he matches the penguin. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I don't know if he can come into this Gotham and yeah. be the same. Oh, uh, dude, he he was the star of that movie. Yeah, yeah, that was great. He was so good in that yeah. role, man. But yeah, I, I just, I don't think incorporating this into like a, a larger DC universe would, I just don't feel like it fits the tone of the film. So, yeah. Yeah. You know? I'm curious to see if Warner Brothers fights that temptation <laughs> to yeah. capitalize yeah, off dude. their most valuable property. That's I al- my biggest worry. I also just don't know that Pattinson would be down for it moving forward. Like, cause he all, he already seems kind of reticent to return. Cause he's like, yeah. oh man, the weight of playing this character has been difficult to shoulder. Yeah. So even if you, if we get three solid films out of him, I don't think that you're going to be able to loop this dude in for like, and now we're going to a shared universe with Superman. And yeah. Like, I just don't think you're going to loop that dude into it. You don't think you're going to get Rob Pattinson meeting Christian Bale and Michael Keaton in a I, <laughs> multiverse. Oh, oh dude. From opened up by the flash. Yeah, oh, dude. Cro- I mean, cro- crossing this over with like the pre-existing DC multiverse would be like, truly horrific <laughs> but I, I i mean even expanding the universe within like yeah. outside of the immediate bat family like margot robbie shows up is hard enough but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no but even like even creating like a new shared universe for this batman world i think would just not it doesn't feel intuitive like i i want this to feel like a self-contained story yeah, yeah. No, for sure. All right, so you kind of spoiled it for us already. The Batman's your number one. Who else is on your medal stand for Batman movies? The Batman is my number one for sure. I would have to give second place to 89, even okay. though I think that, that it's been done better in a technical sense since then. Yeah. That was my introduction to the character, period. You yeah. Know? And I just, I love the fantastical, absurd cartoon world that Tim Burton creates. Yeah. And then I'd probably give it to Batman Begins after that. Because okay, again, nice. I think that's a really proper Batman origin story. Yeah. And I thought it was was a, a promising beginning to a trilogy that I think lost steam as it went along, but that was a really strong start. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably my ranking. All right, Max. The Batman, number one. It's getting gold, man. Yeah. Silver is gonna go to Batman Begins. Dark Knight used to be my favorite of that trilogy. I might have worn it out or I might have just over time kind of garnered more respect for Batman Begins. Yeah. yeah. And then I mean I'm gonna have to give bronze to Batman Forever oh, man. just because <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't actually know if I feel that way but not even Mask of the Phantasm you said you're a big animated oh, series I've fan been a long time I since love I love Mask of the Phantasm I, yeah. I just didn't know that we were including animated because if we oh, do yeah. that well but if we <laughs> that do that thing? there's animated there's theatrical ones. Animated theatrical. Okay. Well, so you can put Lego Batman in there, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good movie. I like that one. I'm still going to keep my ranking where it's at. Okay. You're going to keep Forever in over animated series, Max? Oh, it's been so long since yeah. I've seen Phantasm. Dude, okay. I mean, I'm... revisit it. It's, a, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm just putting Batman Forever in the list because I don't know. I've just, I've watched it like. 200 times yeah. yeah so how do you not put it in the <laughs> no, list for sure you yeah. know it's a bad movie. No. you're being you're being true to yourself yeah no, that's I, another really good theme like there haven't been too many bad batman scores like, yeah following up danny oh, elfman sure. oh dude I that theme even, is great yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah man all right ben dark knight the batman batman begins 
Cool. All right. Okay. okay. Respectable. Sure. I'm going off the board, putting Batman Returns as my gold. That's, that's <laughs> yo. That's I think that's yeah, fair, man. A lot of people do that. That's, that's a really good movie. I just I watched it like two weeks ago. It's I great. love it. Danny DeVito in that movie is fucking insane. Like it's bonkers. Everyone's bonkers. That movie's psychotic. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I watched that as like a five year old. I think that might have been that's my first. What a lot of people say. Yeah. You know, like a lot of big time Batman fans. Yeah, dude. It might just be that I was traumatized as like a five year old going to a movie theater for the first time and Danny DeVito's chewing on some dude's nose and blood's gushing out everywhere and I'm like what is you, happening you know Michelle Pfeiffer really put that bird in her mouth I don't know that's, that's yeah and that yeah. scene where she puts the bird in her mouth that is 100% real oh, I heard she one take the the whip when yep. she hits all the she, mannequin heads she did like she did that the, yeah <laughs> but yeah that that's my favorite okay I think I'd put Batman 89, number two. Okay. And then The Dark Knight, number three. I think okay. I'm the yeah, biggest yeah. detractor for the Batman, and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. I, I still think that's like a, I think that's a really reasonable list. I need to probably re-see it, too, because I think the first time watching it, I'm probably sitting there picking it apart. Sure, yeah. And like even as the weekend's gone on, like there's more stuff I, where I'm appreciating it as I remember it. Like, yeah, that was fucking awesome. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm the exact opposite, where I can see something that's not even that good, and just seeing it for the first time, if it's got enough wow factor, I'm like, that is cool. That, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. And then I think about it and then I watch it again and I'm like, that's not actually that good, but it's still pretty cool. Bro. Yeah. So that I that was why I like rushed out to see it again. Cause I yeah. loved it immediately, but I am such like a fanatic for the character in that world. Yeah. And I was like, let's double check. Yeah. You know, <laughs> before I talk out of my ass here, right. let me double check. <laughs> No. Most of the new Star Wars movies have been like my favorite Star Wars movie the week they came out. <laughs> yeah. And then not after that. Dude, it's amazing how quickly I flipped on the new Star Wars trilogy because that's another <laughs> thing that's so close to my heart. Mm -hmm. And again, one of my earliest memories. And I still think The Force Awakens is genuinely really good mm -hmm. and yeah. like was an excellent jumping off point for a new trilogy. And I was like, cool, this recreates so many of the story beats, but it still feels like fresh, introducing new characters can't wait to see where they go with it and then i saw the next one which is objectively a true clusterfuck and like actively tries to undermine everything the force awakens does yeah in like a way that feels actually spiteful like ryan johnson was like yeah no legit fuck you like fuck jj abrams i'm derailing this whole thing and then jj abrams just came back and was like oh shit oh the emperor's alive just like scrambling to try to make the movie that he would have set up with a second movie but didn't get to but seeing them i'm just i was so wowed by the spectacle that when i saw them i'm like yes yeah, so yeah. sick wow if you don't like this you don't like fun and then like <laughs> six months later i'm like shit dude mm -hmm. yeah. that's really a bad movie <laughs> and now looking back on it i'm just like wow that trilogy was like a whole lot of wasted potential. I don't. I don't think I can have like a fair opinion on it at this point because it's. I know this is not how things work, but if I had my way, we'd go back to a time before there was any Disney Star Wars. Oh yeah, yeah. Because sure. if I could take it or, or leave yes. it, I would leave it. I agree. In a heartbeat. I agree totally. And it would just be this mythic thing that yep. died with three horrible movies For in the nineties. Sure. The Disneyfication of Star Wars is a bummer. All right. Did you think there was going to be an active shooter when we saw Batman? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, you seemed dude, really scared of that guy sitting in front dude, of us. Um, <laughs> this guy was just sitting by himself in front of us, like a sketchy looking white dude. He had his like a big fucking coat on, zipped all the way up. He wouldn't unzip it, and he kept. It's been like seventy degrees in Fort Wayne, <laughs> y'all, for listeners. He's like looking around all the fucking time, and I text around. I'm like, "Is this guy weird to you?" And he's like, kinda. "He's just a dude sitting by himself." Yeah, like, do you agree with me? 
because I wanted to validate you phone no. him to the bathroom every time he got up from his seat. I wanted to get a pop. Did you though? I, I, I brought back a pop. <laughs> it just happened to be right after he left. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Maybe it was because it was my first time in theaters for like two or three years, but the thought came to mind when yep, I was sitting yep. there. Maybe it was because of the content of the movie, too. And yeah. The fact that that ha- wasn't, wasn't that Dark Knight. Yeah. Dark Knight yeah. Rises. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of, I don't know. Uh, it, it flickered across my People mind. definitely thought I was the active shooter because <laughs> I wore like 60s OG 107 sateen military issue BDU pants and an M65 jacket that looks exactly like the Riddler's jacket. <laughs> So, like, I full-on looked like... Your glasses, even. Yes, and I have the glasses. So, like, I full-on looked... you were breathing really hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I, like, full-on looked like a paramilitary wingnut, even outside the context of the film. But I absolutely... Like, 100% when I walked in there, people were like, this guy's going to blow us away. Dude, that's what I thought about this fucking guy. And it turns out I was sitting next to his younger brother. That's why he's sitting alone. That was the best twist ending. Like, Ben made this bond with this little kid sitting next to him. And they were, like, fist-pumped and stuff and then the dude he was scared of turns around and is like yep you ready to go he's like oh shit it's just yeah. this little brother but yeah. the guy was like looking around all like paranoid like everything that he could have done to make me feel uncomfortable yeah he was checking the boxes well see yeah. my overarching technique to walk in and own a room is like I won't be scared of anybody if I just go in the room looking like the most sketchy guy <laughs> that's why I got face tattoos yeah. and stuff that's where I'm where the paramilitary stuff because if I go in here even if somebody's thinking about acting a fool they might catch has to sideways glance at me and think this guy's a little more unhinged. Yeah. So I'm just not going to do it. You know, so if I go in there looking like I'm ready to bomb the place, somebody else might think like, dude, this yeah, guy's for sure. This, yeah. guy, yeah. this guy's Yeah, this guy's this guy's armed for sure. Well, yeah, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, dude, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks it's for awesome. Me. It was a blast. I love talking about you. Awesome, dude. Thanks.